There comes a point when the right to vote requires a fight to vote. MSNBC Films presents Battleground Georgia, a story that explores the ugly history of voter suppression and how Georgia is leading the charge against it. Something has to change. The old South is being replaced by the new South. Battleground Georgia, part of the Turning Point documentary series from executive producer Trevor Noah. Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern on MSNBC. Tonight on The Readout. That we are not going to have a justice system in this country where the political left is immunized for any crime, while the political right is framed and incarcerated for crimes they did not commit. Well, at least he took off the spray on hair. MAGA world still showing in no contrition for the alleged crimes of their master. In fact, they're doubling and tripling down on the election lies that made Trump an accused felon. Also tonight, the rise and steep, humiliating fall of Trump co-defendant Rudy Giuliani. The title America's mayor was always mostly a myth. And now reports say he's begging Trump for help to pay his mounting legal bills. Plus, President Biden is touring the devastation left by the deadly Maui wildfires as the search continues for hundreds of people who are still missing. But we begin tonight with a manhunt for a man named Christopher Worrell. He is a Florida proud boy convicted of seven felony counts for his actions on January 6th, including physically attacking police officers and pepper spraying them. He was set to be sentenced last Friday and was likely going to face several years in prison, but he never showed up. And now no one knows where he is. And the thing that is like actually mind blowing is that despite committing violent acts against police, Worrell could go missing at all, but he could because he was allowed to leave jail and be under house arrest in Florida since November of 2021 after he claimed that he was not getting proper medical treatment for his non-Hodgkin's lymphoma while in jail. So they let him await his sentencing at home instead. Do you think that would happen to you if you were convicted of assaulting a cop, let alone a bunch of them? And one would like to believe that Christopher Worrell is unique among the MAGA faithful, getting that kind of preferential treatment, right? But sadly, no, he's not. Think about this. While more than a thousand people have been charged for their part in the January 6th insurrection, Few were actually arrested on that day. Nearly all of them were free to go back to their hotels, calmly pack their luggage after breaching the Capitol and committing violent assaults, and just go home. These are people who live streamed their crimes. They beat up police officers. Some even defecated in the halls of Congress. And yet, only a handful were put in the back of a police cruiser that day. That gentle treatment continues to this day. Where we wait for Donald Trump, and 18 other defendants named in the Georgia election interference indictment to take their sweet time turning themselves in. They were given nearly two weeks to do as they please before coming in for the full treatment, the fingerprints, mugshots, etc. And today, Trump's attorneys met with D.A. Fonnie Willis's office where they agreed to a $200,000 bond. It comes with certain stipulations. Some are common, like while on bond, Trump cannot break any state or federal laws. But his deal also comes with a unique set of stipulations about not intimidating any co-defendants or witnesses in the case that have not been applied to the bonds of any other co-defendant so far. 
The deal states that Trump shall not shall make no direct or indirect threat of any nature against any co-defendant, any witness, any victim, the community or any property in the community. And that the above shall include but are not limited to posts on social media or reposts of posts made by another. Now, that sure does sound like a quasi gag order to me. I do have to wonder, though. How many people caught up in our justice system get to decide, you know, when they're going to head to a police station? Which brings us to Trump's former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, who was trying to move his case from state court to federal court over the weekend, uh, to federal court. But over the weekend, he upped his ask and is now looking to have his case thrown out completely, arguing like he did in a previous filing that he has immunity because his actions were all part of his government duties. Sure, Mark, because your government job includes trying to help a president steal an election. As for Trump himself, he's showing no concern for the legal peril he's facing, spending his time on important matters like sitting down for an interview with fired Fox anchor Tucker Carlson to run on, I guess, the Elon app or whatever, on the same night as the first Republican presidential debate later this week. I mean, these people are just going about their daily lives when just about anyone else would already be booked, arraigned and perhaps sitting in a jail cell. Meanwhile, Trump and his MAGA friends continue to double down on the same election lies that brought us to this exact moment. You had the MyPillow guy holding yet another conspiracy conference where he, once again, accused mother-daughter election workers Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss of stealing the election in Georgia. And on his radio show, Rudy Giuliani yet again claimed to have new scientific evidence proving that widespread election fraud was real. Yes. There are things we didn't present then, because over the next, next couple of years, a lot of people did a lot of work and have been able to produce more witnesses and what I would call scientific evidence that is very persuasive. Ooh, I cannot wait to hear what that scientific evidence is. And then, of course, Trump himself continues to spew the same lies about the 2020 election, mostly in an attempt to swindle his supporters out of their money to pay his legal bills. But apparently not Rudy's. Joining me now is Melissa Murray, NYU law professor and MSNBC legal analyst, and Tim Miller, writer at large for The Bulwark and an MSNBC political analyst. Thank you all both for being here. Melissa, I will start with you. And let's talk about this bond situation. Um, I'm going to put them up. We, the ones we know about so far, Trump's is 200K, John Eastman, 100,000, The Cheese, Kenneth Cheeseboro, 100,000, Ray Smith, who is a Trump campaign attorney, is 50,000. Is it normal, um, for people to be able to negotiate behind closed doors their bond? I think it's pretty unusual, although this may differ from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. But in most cases, um, again, the rank and file criminal defendant is probably not in a great position to negotiate with the prosecutors about the terms and scope of his or her bond. So again, these are high profile defendants. Um, The nature of the case against them is going to be watched by the American public and It stands to reason that there are particular bond concerns that may not come into play in other cases. But again, this does seem pretty unusual. I mean, but the thing about it is one of the, uh, you know, things that I have noticed is that the MAGA people in general, including at the Capitol, were definitely treated differently. I mean, there was no big wagon where they were throwing them in after they sacked the Capitol. They went home. And now you have one mm-hmm. of them who was allowed to go home for two years and now he's gone. I mean, good luck catching him. Maybe he's in Russia with Putin. I mean, who knows where he is? But I mean, it does seem to me, and you can tell me if I'm wrong and talk me down if I'm wrong, that they are getting special treatment all the way down 
down to the bottom. They've had lighter sentences for some legal experts than you would have gotten for assault and assaulting a police officer. Some of them have gotten months rather than years in prison. In general, I feel like they have been treated from the bottom guy all the way to Trump very, very differently than a normal person would. I think just generally what we saw on January 6th is not the kind of thing you would ordinarily see in some run of the mill melee that might happen in any other part of the United States. And as you refer to in the opening bit, there was gentle treatment of all of those individuals. As we've seen, as more and more of those cases have been processed through the justice system, many of those defendants have actually gotten sentenced. And again, I'm thinking specifically of the Proud Boys litigation with Stuart Rhodes. I mean, he got a very significant sentence. So yes, there has been some evenness here, but I think there's also been some real push to make sure that individuals are held accountable and that they were held accountable, recognizing the gravity of the circumstances that they participated in. I know the government is looking for 30 years for Enrique Tarrio. Um, we'll see what happens there. And Tim Miller, you know, sort of the premise right now um, among, you know, Trump supporters and even people who are sort of soft Trump supporters is that there's, there's this two-tier justice system. All the people running against him are all using that line. And, and I would say to them, yes, there is a two-tier justice system. But Trump and his friends are benefiting from it, not being hurt by it. There is just no world in which a normal person would be treated this well with 92 felony counts facing them. And the fact that he has time to go cut an interview with the guy who got fired from Fox and the fact that he probably will, you know, so far he hasn't gotten a mugshot, even just that alone. I, I just wonder if behind the scenes, if Republicans tell you, come on, Tim, really, I know that what I'm saying is BS <laughs> because it's BS. Uh. No, they're delusional. Actually, this you you brought you broke the news to me. I hadn't, I hadn't seen that the uh, Tucker interview was pre-taped. Actually, like, this isn't even news. I like they're 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 holding it for three days, and that's supposed to be the counter programming. <laughs> anyway, that's a side point. Um, I, the two-tier justice system thing is a total farce. But I'm telling you, Joy, it is. Uh, right now, uh, the foundational untruth of everyone in, in Republican circles, they feel like they're getting treated unfairly by the media, by, you know, the law, etc. Uh, it is it is absurd, uh, but it, it is so deep seated that that is why none of Trump's opponents are even daring challenge it. Uh, except maybe Chris Christie, right? But like the tr Trump's opponents, the ones who are essentially trying to beat him, are echoing this point and saying that that you know he's being treated unfairly. You know, Hunter Biden is getting a sweetheart deal. Like this is all, when it's all nonsense. I mean, it was the people in the Trump inner circle that got pardoned. Hunter got a worse deal than than Roger Stone, who had much yes. more serious crimes, or or Paul Manafort, for whom the, you know the part was uh, was pardoned after he literally was complicit in an attempt to overthrow the government. I mean, like this all is, is crazy. Um, but but it is it is a it is a widespread belief, and it's a deeply held belief, and that's why you know all the candidates are are echoing it. And to stay with you for a minute, Tim, I mean, I feel like it is also what gave the DOJ pause, right? And what gave really the response on January 6th pause. There was reporting and there was a sense that because it was MAGA people, they used kid gloves with them. Had that been, you know, Black Lives Matter protests or something else, they would have been armed to the teeth and ready. But there has been a standing down and a sort of fear of them. And I wonder what you make of that. I mean, you, 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 you have, it seems to me, to be even in the DOJ, a sense that we don't want to go too hard. Look, 
We have reported on this show. Hunter Biden, the fact that he was charged, that tax charge, is normally used for, like, international criminals, gangsters. Like, they don't really charge that very often. But there is this sense of we've got to be proportional and charge a Biden with something. That's how it still feels to me, that there's this attempt to really push a Hunter Biden something, 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 just to say it's been done. And still lots of kid gloves for Trump, yet they just don't see it. Yeah. And, and a couple of thoughts on that. I want Joe Biden gets no credit for this. Right? I mean, Joe Biden left the Trump appointed prosecutor in to go after his son. And essentially, you would think that he would be, you know, people would be out there praising him that the, that the more mainstream Republicans who are left would say, thank goodness, our president's following the norms. Nothing. Like He gets nothing. He, they, they get attacked. They're, they're claim Kevin McCarthy's claiming that he's orchestrating the <laughs> Uh, indictments of Trump because of his poll numbers. I mean, the whole thing is is farcical. So, I, you know, look, I, I, my main criticism of DOJ, I do think that they could have gone after the top guys harder. Um, I, I think that, uh, thank goodness, Fonnie Willis is doing it and good good on her. Amen. Um, I, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I think that a lot of the foot soldiers, um, obviously the ones that committed violence, I think are being treated very, very seriously. And, and maybe, um, you know, there was a little bit of a delay on all that. But I, I do think that the DOJ is doing a good job on that part. But I bet at the top, you know, the, the heads, the, the mob bosses here, uh, you know, they, they've got to sat around for three and a half years. And, and I don't love that. It's pretty amazing. Uh, let, let's talk about the the other thing, uh, Melissa, is that there is this attempt to delay into infinity this case. And Jack Smith, you know, has responded. Uh, this is the response. And it's actually pretty good. In service of a proposed trial date in 2026 that would deny the public the right to a speedy trial, the defendant cites, in, in, you know, in opposite statistics and cases, overstates the amount of new and non-duplicative uh, discovery and exaggerates the challenges of reviewing it effectively for the reasons below rather than discovery nor to any other factor raised by the defendant impedes a fair trial on the schedule proposed by the government. I won't read it all, but, you know, they, they, he's pretty harsh in responding to this. I think even that, to me, is a disparate treatment thing. I mean, they are attempting to argue that their case should not be heard for years. That, it seems, would be farcical if anyone else made that argument. Yeah, but Joy, this is part for the course. Every time Donald Trump has run into trouble, whether it's legal trouble or political trouble, the tactic and strategy has been to delay. We are going to see the delays in the Mar-a-Lago documents case before Judge Cannon in Florida. We are going to see a delay tactic, and, and we're seeing the government respond to that delay tactic before Judge Chutkin in the District of the District of Columbia. And we're going to see the same delay tactics in Georgia again. And it's actually probably going to be even more pronounced in Georgia because we have these 18 other defendants who are going to make the same moves. Uh, there's going to be another <laughs> removal petition, I am sure, following Mark Meadows. And they will all just be seriatim, these attempts to delay this, to move it to federal court. All of this is a delay strategy to get this beyond the 2024 election in the hopes that candidate Trump may become President Trump and may be able to do something, certainly about the federal cases, but may also just be able to push off the state cases to the point where they're inconsequential to him until the very late part of his proposed term. And Tim, you know, when in doubt, try to fire all the prosecutors, right? There is an attempt, obviously, to get Bonnie Willis removed off of that case. You know, Georgia Republicans have passed a law that might enable them to try to get rid of her, uh, to punish her for prosecuting Trump. And then you have this. This is, to me, spectacular uh, in its, uh, uh, you know, audacity. This is Donald Trump's spokesperson. Her name is Liz Harrington. And she she has said she has given Republicans some advice on what they need to do about his federal case. Here she is. They need to defund the special counsel. <laughs> they need to do something. They're on vacation now till September. So all we're going to get are sternly worded tweets 
I'm sorry, that's not good enough. And President Trump has called the Republicans out. The time for words are over. And President Trump's been very clear. If they do not act, he will join any primary challenger, America first, that enters into the ring against these Republicans. uh, And they will win. Tim, how many days before Kevin McCarthy promises to do this? I mean, he's going to do it. They're going to try to do this, right? Defund the police, the federal police, um, I guess, uh, is, the, is the MAGA phrase now. Uh, this whole thing, we're in the upside down. I, this is so crazy. It's like the Republicans are c- claiming that the Biden administration is, is politically targeting opponents, a- a- and even though they're not. A- and meanwhile, they are vowing that if they get back in there, they are going to target political opponents. Right. I, you know, and, and I, like the whole thing is, is, is completely nonsense. It's bad faith all the way down. It, it is it is bizarre, Melissa, and it, it, it is sort of a statement of their lack of faith in the legal system. Right. Because if Donald Trump had Donald Trump wants to be the rule of law, what is he, the, the rule of law uh, guy? You know, they want to be the party of the rule of law. But what they're saying is it's the rule of law until it's us. And then you need to defund the police, fire all the prosecutors. And Trump needs to be able to pardon himself. Th- this is a nonsensical argument, but that is their argument. That's always been the case, though, Joy. None of these principles have ever actually been principled, right? These have always been outcome determinative, and that's why they can be inconsistent. Like you can say defund the police when individuals are, you know, headed out to protest George Floyd. You can say that defund the police is a step toward anarchy, but now that the president is in the crosshairs, you can now turn around and say, defund the federal police. I mean, all of this is about outcome determined and the outcomes that they want to see are ones that bolster and support their chosen person, their former president, their hopefully future president, Donald Trump. And and that's certainly where all of this is going toward, propping up Donald Trump, making sure that he's not just the candidate, but that he is successful. Where is Mitch McConnell? And I will note his utter silence and the silence of the supposed normie Republicans. Where are they? Why aren't they saying anything about this? Where are they to scream about against deep on the police? They're not saying much. Um, Melissa Murray, Tim Miller. I don't know. Tim, if any of them call you, can you call me and let me know so we can I tell will. you? I'll do back. it. It'll be my first stop. All right. <laughs> Thank you very much. And coming up next on The Readout, the cult of Trump, how his followers' blind devotion is disrupting America's political discourse and threatening our democracy. The Readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. The first Republican presidential primary debate is Wednesday, but a certain four times indicted former president plans to skip the Fox-hosted affair. 
A Trump campaign advisor told NBC News that Trump will be at his Bedminster Club that night instead. In an apparent jab at Fox, Trump has already recorded an interview with fired Fox host Tucker Carlson. It remains unclear how and when the interview will be posted, but the move has forced the once Trump fawning network to its knees. The New York Times reports that one of the debate moderators, Brett Baer, has spoken to Trump at least four times over the phone, most recently this weekend, to try to coax him out of Bedminster. So will Trump show up or not? Or maybe the real question is, will primary voters even watch if Trump's not there? They've made their choice clear, according to recent polls. In an NBC poll, 42 percent of likely Republican caucusers in Iowa said Trump was their first choice out of 14 Republican presidential candidates, while 19 percent picked Ron DeSantis. In a CBS poll, likely Republican primary voters chose Trump by 62 percent. The weird devotion to a man facing RICO charges does not end there. Among those Trump voters, 71 percent hold Trump as the source of true information, surpassing friends and family, conservative media and even religious leaders. These people trust Trump more than they trust their pastor. This from the party of white evangelicals and Christian nationalists. But then again, not really that surprising because MAGA is a cult and Trump is the Jim Jones to their Kool-Aid crew. Their blind loyalty is stronger than ever for a man who is clearly running for president to stay out of prison. Joining me now is Charlie Sykes, editor-at-large of The Bulwark, and Stephen Hassan, uh, founder of the Freedom of Mind Resource Center and author of The Cult of Trump. I do want to start with you, Steve Hassan, about this, because that poll, that response that Trump is trusted as the source of true information more than conservative media, friends and family, and even religious leaders— is is shocking, but not surprising to me. And I wonder what you think of it. Well, you know, the members are programmed to distrust mainstream media. So honestly, I'm not surprised at all about that, that those numbers. But from my point of view, as a former cult member myself, who's been working for 47 years, helping people to get out of cults, I think we could change our messaging dramatically and actually maybe get a third away from Trump if we're smart with the messaging that we that we do. Do tell how. Well, so the thing is, when you're dealing with an authoritarian pyramid structured cult that uses deception and mind control, one has to assume that people were had a life before they ever heard of Trump. So the idea is to reconnect with who they were before they ever got converted and radicalized. And it's family members, friends, members in the community, if they're coached to be respectful, curious, ask questions in a way that we, they wait and get them back to thinking about what did they think they were doing when they first chose Trump? And mm -hmm. knowing what they know now, going back in time, would they actually trust anybody in business or anyone in their, you know, would they marry someone who was a pathological liar that lied 35,000 times, but yeah. not in an accusatory way and not, you know, calling them names as morons and stupid as I hear some people in the media, because honestly, a lot of smart people get deceived and mind controlled into destructive cults like myself, for example, and the <laughs> Moonies back in the 70s.
Yeah. You know, and, and Charlie, you used to do talk radio. I used to talk radio. You know, it, it, there is an art to persuasion and to, you know, the sort of family dynamic in a talk show. People are sort of in a closed circle, a closed loop, right. and right. you can talk to them and, and convince them of lots of things. At this point, uh, among likely Iowa, let's just let's isolate Iowa, 41% say that Trump should continue as the Republican Party's leader. 57% say either that Trump was a good president, but it's time to consider other party leaders, 26%, or the party needs a new leader with personal behavior. So to Stephen Hassan's point, there are some people who are open to something new. Um, But among Republican caucus goers, two thirds don't believe he's committed crimes. He's got 92, 94 felony counts, but they don't think he's done anything wrong. I mean, the, the insulation is really, really strong and there isn't a lot of pushback. What do you make of what Stephen Hassan said about how you can sort of draw people out of this? Well, some of us have been trying to do that for eight years, and you can see how successful we've been. I mean, uh, this this is a cult, and and it is uh, the the numbers that you you read out before that that people trust Donald Trump more than they trust religious leaders, more than they trust their family and friends. This is after all of the lies, after all of the fraud, after the coup attempt, after being charged with violating the Espionage Act, after conspiracies, after being accused of racketeering, and yet in a cult, of course, you demand belief despite the falsehood. You demand loyalty yep. despite the, the character. And, you know, what we've seen over the last eight years is people have gone in the opposite direction. People who yeah. used to claim that that character matters now decide that character doesn't matter. The party of law and order now basically says, yeah, he's a criminal, but he's our criminal. So, um, you know, we, the, the, the deprogramming that might work in other cases is um, it's obviously proven to be difficult in part because there is this vast media ecosystem uh, that reinforces the cult-like behavior that attacks anyone that tries to do any of the deprogramming or tells the truth. Look what happens to the people within the Republican Party who have tried to say, "Hey, you wouldn't raise your kids this way. You wouldn't hire, uh, you know, as an employee like this." Look what's happened to them. Look what's happened to Liz Cheney. Look what's happened yeah. to uh, to Adam. Kinzinger. Look at the poll results for even even Chris Christie. So this is part of the problem that we face now. And the Republican Party and look, there there are a lot of Republicans that look at this and are, are horrified. And yet they are either unable or unwilling to break Donald Trump's hold on this party. Yeah. Or they're like Nikki Haley and they just switch to the other side and, and go right back to, um, you know, yeah. worshiping him. We've had Stephen. Oh, yeah, well, I just wanted sorry. to ask you, because there's a violent side to this, this religious belief in Trump, sure. you know, and, and look, we don't know what the specific person, you know, whether this person voted for Trump, but you've now had this real anger against the LGBT community. You had a woman who just had a pride flag in her window, a store owner who was shot and killed, you know, and apparently she had gotten several disparaging remarks about having the rainbow flag. There, this is costing people real trauma and costing them their lives. Um, there was a woman named Esther Salas, a, a former federal judge who was just on with um, the wonderful Nicole Wallace, and she talked about losing her son. Now, do we have time? Let's play it. Let's play it real quick. This is Esther Salas. I always think of Sally Fields and, you know, that movie that she played, I think it was uh, Steel Magnolias, and she's talking at, you know, she's saying, I was there when that beautiful baby came into the world. And I was there when he went out. So, it's sort of like uh, a blessing that he knew his parents were right there. And, uh, you know, 
uh, it was the worst day of my life. But I have to stay in the light. You know, I have to, you know, I have to honor him. In this environment, Steve, it's it's more than just bad politics. We again, we don't know whether this person who this person voted for. But this is the summer of 2020. We are in an angry era where the targets are people like judges, FBI agents. You know, you could go on and on. People with rainbow flags. That's where we are. Yeah, the emotional manipulation, fear, uh, uh, attacking the enemy, Satan is in the opposition, etc. But facts are not going to deprogram people. Asking questions, making parallels to Chinese communist brainwashing and to pimps and traffickers, and explaining behavior control, information control, thought control, and emotional control— and there are ways to message, but it's it's got to be more indirect, but respectful. Yeah. And and as far as the, the violence, I just want to say my former cult that was at January 6th has a gun cult and they have AR-15s and a gun factory and two training compounds. So guess what? I'm really worried about this violent rhetoric, too. Yeah. And so what I really would like to see is more educational messaging that will teach people how to interact with their loved ones and build bridges. Because trust me, people wake up when they do, they're yeah. pissed off. And yeah, we yeah. we can reach these people, but we have to understand mind control. Um, I'm going to have you guys both back on just to talk about this some more, because this is a fascinating topic. And it's really important because it's actually quite frightening. Uh, Charlie Sykes, Stephen Hassan, thank you both very much. Still ahead from America's mayor to an unindicted co-conspirator in an attempt to overturn an American election. If that sounds like a fall from grace, take another look. Rudy Giuliani's tactics were never really that graceful. Be right back. Stay up to date on the biggest issues of the day with the MSNBC Daily Newsletter. Each morning, you'll get analysis by experts you trust, video highlights from your favorite shows. 2024 is now truly the most important election in the history of our country. Previews of our podcasts and documentaries, plus written perspectives from the newsmakers themselves, all sent directly to your inbox each morning. Get the best of MSNBC all in one place. Sign up for MSNBC Daily at MSNBC.com. Hey, it's Chris Hayes. This week on my podcast, Wise is Happening, author Ari Berman on his new book, Minority Rule, the right-wing attack on the will of the people and the fight to resist it. If we're going to be at a moment in time when so many people are saying we have to understand the Constitution as it was intended, we have to understand that it was intended to check democracy, not to expand it. And we can have such a view of the Constitution that says that all of these institutions are so amazing when it's so obvious that they made a lot of mistakes and that a lot of it needs to be corrected. That's this week on Why Is This Happening. Search for Why Is This Happening wherever you're listening right now and follow. Rudy Giuliani. I mean, think about it. Rudy Giuliani, there's, three, there's only three things he mentioned in a sentence, a noun and a verb and 9-11. I mean, there's nothing else. There's nothing else. And I mean it sincerely. He is genuinely not qualified to be president. Then Senator Joe Biden was right back in 2007. After 9-11, Mayor Rudy Giuliani spent decades dining out on the myth of his great leadership of New York and burnishing his reputation standing in the smoldering remains of the World Trade Center. But if you know much about Rudy, 
you know that the myth far exceeds the reality. And that the truth is, he was always an opportunist who peddled lies, traded on racism, and left his moral compass at the door. Back in 1992, mayoral candidate Giuliani cheered on a violent mob of off-duty police officers who screamed racist slurs during a protest against New York's first black mayor, David Dinkins, and New York's new Civilian Complaint Review Board. As mayor, Giuliani championed stop and frisk, which was used disproportionately in black and brown neighborhoods. The New York Civil Liberties Union recently wrote that in the seven and a half years before 9-11, let there be no mistake, racial bias, fear-mongering, and police brutality were the hallmarks of Giuliani's mayoralty. It was Giuliani who ignored security experts and refused to relocate the emergency control center out of the World Trade Center, despite it having been the target of a truck bomb attack in 1993. And it was Giuliani who helped Purdue Pharma get away with a slap on the wrist for their role profiting off the opioid crisis, calling in a favor from the DOJ to help rush a sweetheart deal, letting Purdue continue selling Oxycontin to Americans and preventing any further prosecution of the company or the Sackler family who owned it. What a guy. Oh, and Giuliani's currently being sued by a former employee for $10 million for allegedly aggressively pursuing a sexual relationship with her. Throw in his apparent begging his former client, Donald Trump, for financial help. And what you get is a noun, a verb, and pathetic. Joining me now is Jamel Bowie, New York Times opinion columnist and co-host of the Unclear and Present Danger podcast, and also the author of a piece with which I 100% agree, which uh, is a great reason uh, to talk to you, because I have never been, I've never understood the sort of love of Giuliani, and other than, you know, people saying he made Times Square more like Disneyland. Um, I'm not sure why he was so admired. Um, He had one good day on on 9-11. That was about it. Your thoughts. I think I think that's about it. He's always been a divisive figure. He's always had um, a large amount of criticism directed towards him from his first campaign for mayor to his mayor out uh, to his time as mayor uh, to you know the time after the September 11th attacks. And I really think it's those attacks and his performance on that day, which kind of like created this myth of Giuliani, you know, America's mayor that he has really posted on and that hasn't really been questioned that much in terms of sort of like his national political image. And what's been interesting about the past few years is there has been this conversation uh, along the lines of, well, what happened to Rudy Giuliani to make him um, to put himself in this position with regards to Donald Trump? And the fact of the matter is, is that if there's anything that's like authentically Rudy Giuliani, it is his recent behavior with regards to Donald Trump. Well, I mean, and the thing is, look, when I think of Giuliana, I just think of Patrick Dorisman. Sorry, this is a black guy that got shot by, uh, uh, you know, police officers that were in pl- plain clothes. And Giuliani's response to that was to say, well, he was no altar boy. He was literally an altar boy, literally in the same parish where Giuliani grew up in Brooklyn. Right. I mean, the idea that he didn't want to move the command center to Brooklyn. So he kept it in the World Trade Center. And even this gross sexual assault thing where he's making sexual performing sexual favors, a condition of his his aides employment. Like, like, I, I am with you on the fact that this has always been him, but people wanted to believe something different after 9-11. Right. The, the other thing I'd add to that, like, litany of offenses is that in the wake of 9-11, he wanted to cancel uh, New York's uh, next may, uh, mayoral election to stay in power, which... Which, you know, if there's anything that's going to link him up with Donald Trump's recent behavior, it's exactly Mm -hmm. that. And if there's anything, if you're ever wondering, well, why would Rudy Giuliani even stipulating that he's not great, uh, sign on to defending uh, the former president in the wake of this insurrection. Well, there it is. There there you have it. Like, this is a guy who simply does not respect 
the fact that uh, uh, lose uh, your term being up means you have to hand over power. Uh, he's yeah. part of the same. He's the same type of person as Donald Trump, right down to the fundamentals. Well, and also his mayoralty was very much like Trump's presidency, right? The same kind of divisiveness along the same lines, the same, you know, bigotry against Muslims, bigotry against African-Americans. You're right. He kind of was Trump of New York City. Um, and I wonder, though, what you make of the fact that now he is in this position where he's like three million in debt with legal bills. He's lost his law license. He can't even represent himself. And he's having to beg Trump on bended knee to raise money for him to pay his legal bills or to help him out. I mean, that to me is the the story of any association with Donald Trump over the past, what, eight years now, that again and again and again, consistently people link up with Trump in hopes of furthering their careers or uh, advancing their political ambitions or maybe just making a little money. And without fail, they end up um, broke <laughs> in legal trouble and Trump is not willing to help them. Um, and that's it's the same with Rudy Giuliani again and again. People seem to think that Donald Trump will be loyal to them after they've shown loyalty to him. And that's simply never been the case. That wasn't the case when he was a real estate you know, mogul. That wasn't the case when he was a celebrity. The guy just isn't loyal. And it's no surprise to me that Giuliani, now that he is on the on the downslope, uh, finds himself uh, bereft of any help from the guy who he really went to bat for. The thing is that people will remember they did that skit where they both dressed in drag and sort of like did sort of a, a mocking thing of that. Like they have had a relationship for a really long time and been friends. But to your point, Donald Trump doesn't care about that. Donald Trump doesn't care about his kids. I, I, I'm not sure he would help them. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, he's definitely not going to help Rudy. Uh, Jamel Bowie, great piece. Thank you very much. Um, and up next, Tennessee lawmakers have begun a special session that was supposed to address gun violence. But the Republican speaker had something else in mind. Who will bring you that? next. The Tennessee House began a special session uh, a couple hours ago with the same energy from the Republican majority as this spring when they expelled Democratic representatives Justin Jones and Justin Pearson for daring to demand gun reform after a mass shooting at a Nashville school. Both Pearson and Jones were reelected in special elections. And today at that special session, which was called by Republican Governor Bill Lee to tackle public safety and mental health, but apparently not gun reform, we found out the real agenda. Moments after the session began, Republicans approved new rules of order, which seemed to be aimed at preventing protests like the one led by Representatives Jones, Pearson and Gloria Johnson. The new rules include limiting the number of people who can watch the special session, making designated space for lobbyists and silencing any member ruled out of order. We did not come up here for this special session to limit speech of the members of this body. We came up here to tackle a problem, or at least some of us thought we were going to, with gun violence that is impacting this state that has killed countless people and school children. And instead, we're starting off amending the rules of this body to limit our democracy? It's ridiculous. This is absurd. This is absurd. Shame on every single one of you who voted for these rules. 
Joining me now is Tennessee State Representative Justin Jones. And uh, Representative Jones, I understand you've already been ruled out of order, but under the old rules, why were you ruled out of order? Hi, Joy. Um, just got back from the chamber and I was ruled out of order because I questioned as we were debating the rules, where in the rules um, does it say how we can hold the speaker accountable for abusing his gavel and silencing members from speaking? Um, we brought a megaphone to the House floor in the spring because our microphones were cut off. And rather than answer, the speaker cut my microphone off again and said I was not allowed to speak. And under these new rules that we just voted on that the Republicans approved, it was strictly a party line vote. Um, if a member's ruled out of order, they'll be silenced for up to three days starting and then indefinitely going forward from there. And so um, it seems like my Republican colleagues are more concerned with stopping dissent and silencing dissent than they are about stopping stopping the crisis of mass shootings that should be the focus of this special session about protecting kids and not guns. It definitely feels very totalitarian, right? Some of the other rules that they passed today, why are they limiting the number of people who can be in the room? And why do lobbyists get special seating? Because that seems to be a part of the new rules. I mean, today was the first time in Tennessee history that we had the rotunda court and also the people could not even gather in a, in a historic place of people voicing their opinions. The Tennessee Constitution says that the people's house, the door shall be open. But instead, we've cordoned off the rotunda. We've shut off one half of the gallery just for lobbyists to have special seats and the people can only sit on the left side. Um, we've we've silenced the Senate. And also, this is this is the more egregious thing that was clarified. You can bring, you can no longer bring a paper sign to committee rooms to protest, a small paper sign, but you can bring a gun to committee rooms. I mean, this is morally insane what is happening in Tennessee. That is, okay, that is insane. Um, so Bill, Governor Bill Lee initially called this special session. The idea was to do red flag laws, meaning you can temporarily remove firearms from somebody who has been judged a danger. Apparently that's off the table, right? That's not happening. Are you guys going to vote on any gun reform legislation? And if so, what? So many of us have tried to introduce bills around common sense gun laws, things like a ban on high capacity magazines, universal background checks, safe storage. Almost everything we introduced was um, not allowed to go through to be heard and calendared in committee to begin the process. Um, and what they did is they, they bowed down to the extremist forces who were here at the Capitol today. Today, outside the Capitol, as you come to the Capitol, Joy, the Proud Boys had a banner and were standing out there. They were intimidating members in the hallway. You had people come with AR-15 standing around our Capitol. And so how are we to feel safe as members when they are emboldening these extremists. They're, they're, they're calling them to come here because this is who they are accountable and in solidarity with white nationalists who are threatening our multiracial democracy and threatening children and mothers and families who are at the Capitol today begging for their lives. I mean, this is a very dangerous territory that we're in, a very dangerous place. And it's because of Cameron Sex and the Speaker of the House who, who has created this extreme environment that's put the lives of people of Tennessee at risk, um, and, and especially here at the Capitol right now. Can I ask you to reiterate that? So, so because we understand there were protests, there are a couple hundred of people who were protesting on the side of gun reform. You're saying the counter protest included Proud Boys and Proud Boys and people who had AR-15s were amassed outside of the Tennessee State House. So there are many more people protesting for common sense gun laws, but this small group of fragile, predominantly white men were gathered outside as well with their um, Dollar General colors and their and their signs. Um, they also had a banner hanging from the um, Capitol and they were gathered at the steps and some of them were following members around the, the hallway. I had to ask my assistant to lock the doors of our office because um, we don't know who will keep us safe in this building um, because we know that the speaker and his Republican um, supermajority don't care about our safety or the safety of Tennesseans um, in general. And so um, they, they did a 
a dog whistle call and response to bring the Proud Boys here. And that's who showed up on behalf of stopping common sense gun laws, because that's who's aligned with them. When the people, the majority of people are aligned with what we're fighting for, which is common sense gun laws to keep our children safe and not bow down to the special interests like the Tennessee Farms Association and the NRA. Uh, I, I want everybody to hear that. They are allowing firearms inside of committee rooms, but not a piece of paper with a protest. They're not allowing protesters in. They're barring people from witnessing what is not even democracy anymore in the state of Tennessee. You can only call that totalitarianism. We'd like to invite uh, the speaker, uh, speakers, the, the speaker of the Tennessee House. You're welcome to come on this show because we would really like to talk to you. I have some questions for you. So please come on, Speaker Sexton. Uh, Tennessee State Representative Justin Jones, stay safe and thank you very much. And we'll have you back as well. Coming up next, uh, President Biden visits Maui in the wake of its wildfire disaster as teams continue their search for more than 800 still unaccounted for. Stay with us. In Hawaii, the search for victims of the country's deadliest wildfires in modern U.S. history continues, with 850 people still missing and at least 114 dead. President Biden is in Maui today touring the devastation and meeting with residents and first responders. In his remarks to the people of Maui, he did what he does best, using his experience with grief to empathize with the community. I know the feeling that as many of the people in this town, this community, that hollow feeling you have in your chest like you're being sucked into a black hole, wondering, will I ever, will I ever get by this? You know, and it's one thing to know, but it's quite another thing to have to wait to wonder whether your family member is going to be okay. The country grieves with you, stands with you, and will do everything possible to help you recover, rebuild, and respect culture and traditions when the rebuilding takes place. And that is tonight's readout. There comes a point when the right to vote requires a fight to vote. MSNBC Films presents Battleground Georgia, a story that explores the ugly history of voter suppression and how Georgia is leading the charge against it. Something has to change. The old South is being replaced by the new South. Battleground Georgia part of the Turning Point documentary series from executive producer Trevor Noah. Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern on MSNBC.